Welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I'm here with Scott Higginbotham. So, Scott, good to have you. Hey, Scott. Good to be here today. I guess two Scots again, right? That's right. So uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, not two Scots, but two separate groups of people, namely Christians and atheists. And uh, specifically, we're going to talk about how they sort of uh, view some of the same things, but come away with those things with different conclusions. And so an example of this is that uh, Christians oftentimes look at nature And they think, wow, look at the majesty of God. And it's very encouraging to them and gives them hope in the God in whom they believe, right? Right. Uh, But then you have atheists that look at the same nature and say, this is beautiful, but they don't see God in it. And, um, you know, so it's interesting, you know, that you'll sometimes hear Christians say like, well, just look around you. Obviously, there's God. Look at how things have been created. Well, to the atheist, it is not, in fact, obvious that it is God. And I think this comes from essentially some differences in foundations on what is true and what is the just the nature of the created world that we live in. And I'm, I'm using the word created as a Christian, obviously, uh, but they would even maybe say created, but not necessarily from a creator, but simply uh, it had a starting point you know sure so yeah. um that's kind of uh that's kind of where we're going to go today and so i wanted to begin uh just by asking you if you have any uh yeah, i guess stories or experiences where you've uh you know had conversations with believers or or even atheists about the uh the nature of the world around us and how it leads to different kinds of conclusions there sure um so Yes, in talking with other Christians, and, and some of them in pastoral contexts, um, talk about the results of nature. I have found probably my greatest experience about talking with creation with regard to God uh, among uh, Christian believers may actually go less to the, oh my goodness, the world is is wonderful and uh, fantastic and look at how it's been made. A lot of the conversations that I've had have been with believers in the uh, aftermath of, say, a natural disaster of some kind, um, you know, in the aftermath of a tornado. Um, I did uh, flood relief in Louisiana a few years ago, and um, so there'd been a lot of a lot of heavy rain and a lot of flooding and uh, going through and was helping remove furniture and taking drywall off houses. And some of those conversations turned to, you know what, I really believe in God. However, I'm having a real hard, I'm really struggling with believing in a God who would allow this kind of thing to happen. And they felt betrayed by what is normally the status quo of creation. uh, And then it had turned violent. And typically speaking, when I think about that, I you know, I like to remind people that God's made a world that is predictable. And because God has made a world that is predictable, it has certain natural forces at play. And some of those natural forces are things like uh, gravity. And uh, some of those natural laws are things like, I mean, I mean, think about it this way. Wouldn't it be weird if, you know, one morning you got up and you started to warm up water to make yourself you know, a a hot cup of tea or something. And instead of the water boiling, it froze. That would be 
odd. If we lived in a world that didn't have those kinds of certainties that are built in, then the world would be a really strange place and be very, well, it'd be more dangerous than it already is. Yeah. There would but be some a of those, lack of order, right? I mean, it would be very um, unstable, right? Right. And some of those natural laws, you know, play into weather phenomena. And when those weather phenomena hit, certain kinds of thresholds and things are just right then you know tornadoes happen or floods happen or hail happens or you know any of the various number of things it's not because god has made a world that is bad it's just that when those natural laws hit certain thresholds things can get dangerous for us then of course there's the other side of it too that some of those things that we like to define as natural disasters are sometimes good for the environment to some degree. So if you have a, if you have a wildfire, uh, you know, how, you, how often do we hear the wildfire is bad, obviously destruction of property is terrible, but how fire can be good for an ecosystem. It can, you know, help create health or prolong health of an ecosystem and help things grow back faster or better, more lush, more life-giving so there's a there's a give and a take to it so i saw all that to say most of the time when i'm having a conversation with other christians about the nature of creation the assumption is that god is good but why is the world bad <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, I, I think those are the ways that you, you usually deal with it of course my default answer for most of these things is when people ask questions about that, why would God allow this to happen? Then you really need to ask yourself the diagnostic question. And that is, do they want an answer or do they want a hug? And nine times out of 10, they just want a hug. And so I'm sorry, I'm here with you in it. We'll get through it. We'll walk through it together. Um, you know, you're right. God is still good, but that doesn't diminish the fact that this hurts or that this is devastating and, so how does the church come alongside you and, and help in that regard? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, take on this because, you know, when you hear in a lot of debates, you know, about nature and God creating and all that, it really focuses on the majesty and the beauty, uh, not necessarily the danger side of things. Right. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to me that, you know, even in Genesis, God puts Adam in the garden yeah. as a safe place, as if to say things outside of the garden are not so safe. And, um, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a lot, of course, the, of theology there, but uh, there's this idea uh, in that, that perhaps certain kinds of storms and other things are part of God's created order to the universe, which is hard for us to fathom when we think about people losing their homes and whatnot. Um, and, you know, I mean, you, you're kind of on the flip side of that. People saying, well, don't build your house right by the ocean, you know, or, right. uh, you know, things like that. Uh, I mean, you know, I live in Texas, you live in Texas. Uh, we live a significant distance from one another in Texas. Yeah. But, um, you know, both of us are sort of on at least the outskirts of Tornado Alley. And, right. uh, you know, we have tornadoes here in this area every spring i would imagine that amarillo has a number of uh tornadoes as well you know in the uh, at least maybe not every year but you know around if you yeah. will oddly and you know i mean i think this ties into this creation thing very well and that is that it seems 
we, we usually think that creation is completely static and it is what it is and it's always made or it's been made and it's always going to stay exactly as it is. But just a couple of months ago, I was looking at some meteorological data that seemed to show that what we've traditionally called Tornado Alley, since you bring that up, mm-hmm. has shifted more to the east over the last 20 years. The, uh, the numeric occurrences of tornadoes, large-scale tornadoes, have begun to diminish in this part of the world. You know, I'm in Texas, you're in mm-hmm. Texas, like you said, but I'm in the panhandle of Texas. And usually we used to, I mean, we used to have tornado warnings at least once a week, you know, May and June. And now I don't think this year, I, I know we never had a tornado warning here fairly close. I'm not even sure we were ever actually under a tornado watch in the spring. Oh, but wow. the, the number of occurrences, you're right. We do live a far number apart, but it appears that that tornadic uh, kind of uh occurrence is shifting more your direction i'm sorry i'm not trying to push it your way um but i think that's that's part of it and that that's part of the beauty and the wonder of creation is that it's made but it's somehow still changing and in flux and and moving around a little bit yeah and uh you know i think that um you know the point i was going to try to make a second ago with the idea of us being in tornado alley is that it doesn't really matter where you are you know, there are things naturally that occur in any yeah. location that are not great for people. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's also a lot that is great for people in pretty much any inhabitable location. And uh, you mentioned, you know, things do change. I mean, I, I remember when I took a class in geog- uh, geology, we were looking at riverbeds and how rivers shift and change their flow over time. So that sometimes you take a picture of a river and then you look at where that river was a hundred years earlier and it's, you know, actually not even in the same location, you know, not, not, not like miles away, but it might be, you know, a hundred yards over the other direction is where it had flowed, you know, before, or you can see that in the next 50 years, it's probably going to be flowing a little bit further to the South or to the East or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, but I think Christians sometimes think, you know, God created the world and then he just kind of stepped back and said, all right, that's it. As if to say that God's not continually holding creation together. And as if to say that he didn't create a world that also is in continual shift and flux and change. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it seems to be that that's how it was designed and ordered. And there's goodness and beauty in that. So from a Christian perspective, we see all the majesty of creation and we think, you know, the fact that all these different things that need each other coexist, right? Humans need plant life. Humans need animal life. Animal life needs plant life. Animal life needs human life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plant life needs animal life and human life, right? right? And all these things work together to make the world continue to function and be as it should be. And so for Christians, you see a lot of that and you think this is designed to be this way. The uh, philosophical argument, you know, is that if you're walking through a forest, this is not from me. This is like, you know, legit philosophy. You'll find this in textbooks. So um, uh, you're walking through a forest, you know, and you see, uh, you know, a pile of dirt. You just don't really think much of it. You're like, well, yeah, there's a pile of dirt in the forest. Why wouldn't there be? There's dirt all around us. But you're walking through the forest and you find a wristwatch on the ground 
you don't think to yourself, well, what a beautiful accident. All these little pieces of metal and glass fell together and just made a wristwatch. You think, oh, somebody dropped their wristwatch here. Someone was here before me. And you think that way because the wristwatch has a certain level of design to it. Right. And so because it has design, you think there's got to be a designer for that watch. It didn't just happen to create itself in the forest. It was made somewhere and now it's here. And for Christians, when you look at the world around us, we often think, hey, you know what? There is design in the world around us. And we look at how it's put together and we think God clearly did this. But when you talk to atheists or agnostics, often, honestly, more people are agnostic than they are atheists. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the distinction, of course, between the two is that the atheist says there is no God, whereas the agnostic is going to say simply, I don't really see proof of his existence one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, an atheist is going to look at uh, creation around us and they're going to say, well, I see that there are things that work together but not necessarily because of divine origin or, um, you know, if you will, design from a thinking individual, right? Um, And so they may say, you know, there's this, uh, you know, there's obviously there's some order in the universe. That's why life exists here and why it doesn't exist on some other planets. But they have no problem saying it just happened to be that way here apart from any individual created creative deity making it this way yeah yeah and there's a uh, obviously some preconceived notions that go into play not every preconceived notion is necessarily bad either just because you have a preconception isn't isn't wrong um the atheist says you know, or the atheist or maybe even the agnostic says i don't have enough evidence to believe that there is order beyond, you know, whatever the immediate, you know, laws of nature happen to be. I don't know if there's any reason for a designer or an ultimate cause of these things. They just, they're happy little accidents along the way to quote Bob Ross, right? So uh, it's, it, it, it depends on where your starting point is. And that means that it depends on, and then how do you also, how do you interpret the information that you see around you? The, um, you know, I think even the atheist seeing the watch in the forest would say, Hey, you know what? Somebody designed this watch, but they have a very difficult time saying somebody designed the forest. And because they're, they're very different kinds of views and um, Christians, I think, sometimes we get caught up and the reason I kind of start with that, I'm dealing with trauma at times when we talk about nature, Christians sometimes get caught in the difficulty between reflection and uh, uh, reaction. And so, uh, you know, as Christians, we react to the bad things that happen and we say, Oh goodness. You know, how could God allow something like this to happen? And the atheist would say, well, yeah, because there is no God. Right. Mm -hmm. But then when the, Christian looks at the sunset in reflection and says, oh, God allowed this to happen. Then uh, the atheist says, no, that's just, you know, photons passing through, you know, layers of atmosphere yeah. and creating different colors. Different it's natural amazing gases in the air or whatnot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so 
I think that uh, one of the things that got me thinking about this topic was um, uh, I had seen a couple of people online put some pictures up of them at the lake. And they had said, how can you not see God here? You know, right. this is this is where my my place is to come and, you know, sort of think about God. And, you know, obviously, when you look at uh, yourself in light of what you would consider to be magnificent things around you, I think it puts into perspective our own size. Uh, so someone is at a lake and it's, you know, a beautiful lake or whatever, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a Texas lake and it's green, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we've got some kind of lake and you got trees around the lake and you've got the clouds in the sky and you think, wow, this is really beautiful. It's really peaceful. It's really calm. Of course, if you're at the lake and you're on the lake and a storm hits, you don't think this is really beautiful and peaceful and calm. You think, I hope we make it back to the shore <laughs> before right. this boat goes under, you know, um, and um, when you look broader into creation, you know, you think, okay, look at all the other planets, look at the stars, look at the galaxies, and you start thinking, wow, we are really insignificant. And the belief in God suggests that while we are so small and insignificant, the creator of this entire universe actually cares about us. And so there's a sense of worth and value associated with that in the midst of our size. Yeah. But when you have, say, a non-believer or a non-Christian uh, or an atheist looking at the stars and the universe and the galaxies and all this, um, their thinking is, we th seem to think, or at least what I often hear from, from folks from this perspective is, we seem to think we're a lot more important than we probably really are, uh, which again, both both sort of, you know, I guess responses deal with our size, but mm -hmm. one attributes a certain level of value to it based on a deity while the other does not. Right. And I always kind of find that to be just very interesting. And uh, in when I mentioned this as a topic to you, you asked if I thought this had to do with sort of epistemological differences between atheists and Christians. I think it really does. It does. Um, I think there's this idea that, um, you know, for Christians, um, humanity, because I mean, we even teach, you know, humans are created in God's image, which I believe, and I, I do teach that. And you hear me say it on this podcast a lot, right. but, um, there's this sort of level of significance attributed to humans that is oftentimes not found outside of religious circles. And I, and I mean, religious in a broad sense there, because you're going to have, uh, more value associated to hum humans in Judaism and Islam and Taoism and whatever, you know, most religions are going to focus on some kind of special nature or special relationship between God and humanity that elevates humanity to something of more value than humanity is often seen with outside of religious context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And it has to do with, it has to do with the starting point. You know, where's, what are your base level assumptions at the very beginning of, of the conversation? So you take the same picture, you know, how can you not see God in this? Um, I think, I think Christians can, or, or even religious people, depending on, you know, whatever the religious view might be, uh, have a tendency to assume that everybody else is going to start with the same assumptions 
that they begin with. I mean, this is pretty natural, right? And then the atheist or somebody who's even brought up in a more, you know, atheistic kind of background is going to say, well, how do you see God in this? What I see is the, you know, the work of um, natural phenomena over a long period of time. It is, we might both agree that something is beautiful, but our, our starting points for those pictures are going to be different for how we evaluate them. Um, and I think this is, I think this is one of the things where both camps can learn how to be more charitable with the other one. Mm-hmm. That when the Christian takes a picture and says, how do you not see God in this? You're right. I mean, there's a, there's certainly a level of this is how I'm perceiving the world. And, but if you're really going to ask the question, honestly, how in the world do you not see God in this? Well, then maybe we need to listen to our atheist friend who says, well, I, this is why I don't see, and then not demean them or, belittle them um you know at the same time obviously i'm not an atheist i i have some friends who are atheists that i don't know how well that carries but at the same time with them uh i ask for the same kind of charity you know hey i see god in the midst of this well how dare you see god in the midst of this come on this is just that 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 you know and it becomes dismissive Mm -hmm. on both sides and it's not helpful Right. So I think we both need to learn how to both camps need to learn how to be more charitable with one another. Years ago, I took a class on God and evil. It was a very good class, by the mm-hmm. way. It was, it was a philosoph- uh, philosophy class. And uh, but there was a guy in the class, another student. I will not name him. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but I'm, <laughs> he's not going to like what I'm about to say if he ever hears it. So um, <laughs> he always, you know, in this class would get really frustrated when the professor would say, well, that's not how these people see it. And he would say, but that's how I see it. And he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that some people don't have the same worldview he has. And so, uh, you know, to your question, you know, well, how can you not see God in this? In his mind, if I see God in this, everyone should see God in this. And that's just the end of the story. Uh, And there's no concept that other people have a different worldview And they're not going to see or interpret or understand things the same way, you know, he does or or we do, right? Uh, It it makes me think of Christian denominations, right? You have multiple denominations that come to the Bible, and there are certain things in the Bible that pretty much every denomination views the same. But then there are things in the Bible that denominations look at, and the people in this denomination have said, I think this is the best way to read this passage. And someone else from another denomination says, well, we think this is the best way to read this passage. And the reason we have so many denominations is because we've all come to the same text and drawn different conclusions about how to read and understand different passages of that same text. Right. And so, you know, if we have that much variance from people who all say, we believe the Bible is true (laughs) and we agree with the Bible, right? Um, uh, you know, we have that much variance there. Why would we not think there's even more, you know, not be aware there's even more variance uh, from those who come to, you know, anything we look at from a completely different perspective, you know? Um, so, you know, I can read the Bible and say, see this, this, and this strengthen my faith. Yes. But someone who doesn't believe the Bible is true could look at those same passages and say, well, they were written at different points in time and they were constructed that way to make you think that this is, you know, how it is. 
Uh, and, you know, I mean, whether that assumption is correct or not is irrelevant to the fact that because of their belief system, that's how they view the text. That's right. And I think a lot of this, just talking about creation, is a great place for us to remember that we need to be uh, patient and kind with other people who don't have the same you know, thought process starting places we do. I mean, that's kind of the idea of epistemology. How do you know that something is, is true? Well, not everybody has the same epistemic starting, starting line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how are, how am I interpreting the information? It's, it's good to remember that um, I need to sometimes put myself in the other person's shoes. And sometimes if I can put myself in the other person's shoes, it will help strengthen the way that I see things. It might even help strengthen my clarity for arguing my position about how I see things. Now I can, yeah. I can better represent, I'm not going to misrepresent what you think who disagree with me. And I'm not going to accidentally misrepresent what I think to you who disagree with me. Yeah. I said something uh, online a few weeks ago uh, and I, I, I said several things in this particular conversation, but uh, one of the phrases I said, someone kicked back and said, I don't understand how you can think this way because of this. And then I realized because of his question back, oh my, I really botched up how I explained this. Mm -hmm. And so I added a second comment that said, well, when I said this, here's why, and here's what I meant by, and I should have explained that better. And he wrote back and said, oh, that actually makes perfect sense. And so uh, it was good, you know, that we were able to have a you know, positive discussion that didn't just keep going, going, you know, spiraling down or anything. But, um, but the problem was mine that I, I didn't explain something clearly. Uh -huh. uh, and so in my head, I knew what I was saying, but what came out on paper was not anywhere clear, at least in this other person's, you know, mind. Right. And so, uh, you know, and obviously you, you can't control necessarily how people interpret what you say, but we should all strive to communicate as clearly as we can. And um, sort of going back to the idea of different conclusions, you know, and different mm -hmm. worldviews and starting places, you know, as a Christian, when I look at the story of Noah and the flood, uh, I look at that as God protecting humanity, mm -hmm. uh, because I believe that the world was becoming so corrupt that the threat of human survival uh, was very real. Yeah. And so God sort of starts over. Uh, but um, I saw somebody the other day who was an atheist who was writing that this was God essentially doing genocide. Right. And so their view was very different um, than my view, looking again at the same text. Um, but they're looking at it from the perspective of all these lives are being lost. And I'm looking at it the perspective of God's trying to um, allow humanity to once again grow and flourish. Uh, now, that being said, as a Christian, it would be wrong of me to say, who cares about those people that died in the flood, right. uh, which unfortunately, I think, is the message that some people who are not Christians hear from Christians, yes. whether it's intentional or not, right. um, you know, and so, uh, you know, we should never be happy or gleeful about, you know, the idea that people are being uh, killed or destroyed or going to hell or whatever else, you know. Uh, you hear a Christian say to, to an atheist, you know, well, I'll be glad when you burn in hell, then you'll see God's real. And you're like, whoa, whoa, you should never be excited for someone to be going to hell. Yeah, like, that's breaks. horrible. So, yeah. oh man, yeah. Well, in, you know, the Noah story, 
I, and I think there's I think there's something textual here that's important, and that is, as Christians, when we when we hear Genesis or we hear the Noah flood account, the Noah flood account for us as Christians is not an explanatory thing for why the world is what it is. The Noah story fits in a broader structure that says God responds to sin and sin has tragic consequences because God is holy, but God is gracious on the other side. And I think sometimes we, we lift out our favorite episodes from the text and we fail to make those connections to the broader picture. Mm-hmm. And when we do, then, then we, we're not really helpful. And I think on the notion of this, you know, even the creation kind of thing, um, you see organizations and things like that, that, that are loud and trumpet that God made the world and God made the world exactly like this. And so we have to build a whole apologetic framework for why um, we have the strata of soil that we have. And, and sometimes I think, I mean, that's nice, but I think you're missing the point of the text. The point of the text is not to explain why we have strata in canyons. I think the point of the text is to say, this is who God is. This is his, this is how he, this is who humanity is. And this is how God is dealing with the world. But this is also part of this broader, broader trajectory that says, sure, God has created the world with order in the same way that he's made human beings with order. And God intends to at least demonstrate who he is through a rightly ordered life. And that's, that is, to me, a much more fulfilling, maybe even a much more apologetically satisfying kind of description of a story, rather than just pulling out the nuts and bolts and pointing out the violence and the, you know, whatever else might be part of a, of a given narrative. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's important, too. You know, anytime you read scripture, context is key. And uh, when you're looking at the context, you're looking at not just, you know, when did this happen or who's saying it, but you're, you're looking at, you know, why was this written? What did the author have in mind? What did this mean to the original audience? And how does that sort of stipulate or determine how we look at that passage today? Mm-hmm. And you can't obviously know everything about the original audience. And, uh, you know, I know there are people that try to take that too far, but at the same time to completely ignore what it would have potentially meant to the original audience is just as much a disservice to the text as, um, you know, trying to go too far in the other direction. And uh, I think when when we think about, you know, apologetics and uh, apologetical arguments and whatnot, you know, uh, I've never seen anyone argue someone into the Christian faith through apologetics. Um, And I think one of the main reasons for that is because people tend to focus more on trying to win the debate than trying to communicate their faith. Um, but, um, so I think dialogue is much better than debate, but that's just me. Um, but when it comes to apologetical arguments, I think they serve a great purpose in helping strengthen the belief of people who have committed to Christianity. Uh, I mean, you could honestly, you could make the same case for other religions. Uh, there's a there's an argument for God's existence called the Kalam argument, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is actually a really great argument. But it's an Islamic argument uh, for uh, it was it was developed by some Muslim philosophers who were trying to say that it is plausible to believe in the existence of God. 
-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, it's a great argument. Um, so apologetical arguments do serve a purpose, but I don't think the purpose of them typically is to convince the atheists that they're wrong. I think it's to help Christians relate to faith and reason in a way that reason is able to help strengthen the faith that they already have. Um, in and its best case, that's what it should be. It is what it should be, yes. And uh, when it comes to the way that Christians and atheists communicate together, you know, again, because they have a different starting point, they often have a different concluding point. And so when I observe the world around me, I come to certain conclusions about things that someone who has a different worldview is going to come to a different conclusion. And I think it's important for us as Christians to be able to have dialogue with those people and to be able to hear their side of things, to understand, to, as a result, learn to understand them better and uh, still be able to be cordial and kind. And hopefully they can hear our side of things and also be cordial and kind. Uh, but I think a lot of times the, the cordiality of conversations between Christians and atheists is dependent upon the way we respond to what one another say, the things one another say. And so if an atheist says something and a Christian says, well, that's stupid, well, you're not, you're not really setting things up for a positive discussion. In the same way, you know, if I was to say something and the atheist said to me, well, you're dumber than a box of rocks. Well, that's not really going to set things up for a good conversation between us either. So, I mean, it, it works both ways. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of angry Christians, I think, have had their feelings hurt by atheists. Uh -huh. And a lot of angry atheists have had their feelings hurt by Christians. Yeah. And so I think a great place to start conversations between atheists and Christians is at a place of... Um, as you mentioned earlier, charity, it's a place of compassion and a, it's a place of, um, willingness to learn from the other without necessarily, um, just wanting to win the argument, you know, right. uh, you hear what they have to say and you know what, you learn more about their beliefs and sometimes you're given great challenges for yourself to go back and think, well, they said that, and this make that, that made a lot of sense, you know? Should I agree with that? Or is there something wrong with what they're saying? Let me think through that. Uh, and hopefully they can do the same for us. I learned some great wisdom um, from a mentor several years ago. But uh, one of the, uh, well, this, this is what it was, is um, anytime that you disagree with another person, remember that your objective is not to win an argument, but to win the other person. And I think that's, I think, that's where as Christians, maybe we need to take a, take a good hard look at the way we argue for things. We certainly are, you know, should be grounded and convincing sure of the things that we do believe, but we don't have to badger or hammer somebody else with them. Um, by, I, I, if I win an argument, but I don't win the other person, it doesn't matter. I'd rather, win the person and be cordial and be able to smile and get along and then, you know, burn a bridge somewhere. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me a lot of Immanuel Kant. Um, Immanuel Kant argued that no person is a means to an end. Right. And, uh, and to, to put it quite bluntly, he would say that each person is an end in and of themselves. You befriend someone for the sake of the friendship, you know, you, 
you talk to someone because of their value, their intrinsic value. You don't talk to someone because of what you think they might can get you or where they can get you, you know? Um, It's, you know, this idea of, you know, like say Christian celebrity, right? Oh, I go to so-and-so's church and everybody knows that person, you know? And if I can talk to him and shake his hand, I'm essentially someone who knows that person. And that makes me look good. It's like, no, you don't, you don't get to know someone because of how it makes you look. Um, that, that shows just a lack of integrity on your part. You know, um, you get to know any person famous or not, um, because every person's valuable and every person is worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 100%. It's true. Yeah. So if you're listening today, you're probably a Christian because most of our audience is, (laughs) but, uh, you probably know some people who aren't Christians. And the question that I have for you is, you know, in the relationships you have with non-Christians, do they see the truthfulness of the things you say you believe because of how you act and how you treat them? Or, Or do they see hostility in you that seems to go against the things you say that you believe? Uh, and as you have conversations with people with different worldviews, what are you doing to try to understand things from their perspective? How are you allowing their beliefs to challenge and maybe even strengthen some of your own beliefs? And uh, how are the things you're presenting to others about the way you see the world as God created it? Uh, how are you presenting those in a way that, uh, as Scott said, would win the person, not just win the argument? So for those of us here at Faith and Culture Now, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you again next time.